God's story is about movement. So the idea of road trip is not just a way to somehow find a reason to put pictures up of ourselves on, online or on the screen. Um, there is a lot of movement. God's story is on the move. God's people are on the move. God's mission is on the move. God's agenda is on the move. There is a lot of movement throughout the Bible. And what I want us to try to do together through the summer is take a look at all of these different road trips and see how they come together for one mission, one agenda, one purpose that God has for us. Because for most of us, when we look at God's story, if we're not careful, we just view it as a collection of memories and events, things that happen, names that are vaguely familiar, but we don't really get how they all are connected. Uh, we don't necessarily look at them and say, I don't believe that, or maybe, maybe you struggle with that in some uh, places in the story. But even just the places that you've believed and you've accepted, you struggle to put those together. One of my favorite road trips that I ever took, I don't guess I could ever really top it, was when I was in college. I went to Israel, took a tour of the Holy Land, and my wife was there with me, and so we're a couple of college kids trying to take it all in. This is also the 90s, so we didn't have smartphones to be able just to check everything out, put it in little albums and folders, and we just took something that's called a camera, and we'd pull it out of our fanny pack. That was mandated, by the way, not by choice, but out of our fanny pack, and we would take all of these pictures knowing when we got back to the States, we were going to Walgreens or Walmart, and we were going to go in and uh, print those out, and you'd have a bucket of pictures. Now, me, typical me, now I look back at my Holy Land experience, and I've just got pictures all over the place, and I don't really know what they're of. Um, they're beautiful, but I am not... I just don't enjoy seeing pictures of you. Like, I don't take pictures of people. I'm sorry if that offends you in any way. I, I'll see you again. We'll, we'll take pictures. But I, I, I don't really take pictures of people. Like, when we even go to our, with our family to the beach, I forget to ask the family to stand. I just take pictures of water and ocean and sunsets and sunrises. I, I'm more into that. So we went to Israel, and everybody would get together for these tour shots. And I was like, ah, wait till everybody gets out of the way. Then I can take a picture of the thing that interests me. Problem with that is every mountain range begins to look the same. Uh, every body of water is also blue. And so every shore looks a little the same. And so I go back and go, was that the Jordan? Was that the Sea of Galilee? Is this Tel Aviv? Is this Jerusalem? It's just all a mess. Thankfully, my wife... Uh, is a little more organized. So my pictures are in a box, uh, a, I think an Air Jordan box actually, a Nike box from college. And they're there, I'm sure they're yellow and great. And, and her pictures though are put together and it says day one, Tel Aviv. Day two, Galilee. And so I'm able to go, oh, this makes sense. And I'm encouraging you to jump into God's story, not like I jump into normal life, but like my wife does and have a little more of an understanding of the actual story. So we're going to take this road trip from the beginning as far as we're concerned with history, where, where we come in, and then begin to travel around and see how it finally ends up where it does. So when we think about our part in the story of God, we think about Eden, the Garden of Eden. 
And the Garden of Eden is not a place that you can go visit now. No one can take a road trip to Eden. You can say, this is probably about where it was. But you can't go to Bucky's Eden and just take pictures and walk around and say, look at me, I found the place. That's not going to happen. But what we do know is that Eden is in uh, modern-day Iraq, somewhere there. So we've got the beginnings there with Adam and Eve and their experience with God and their fall and God covering them and beginning again and all the things that were going on there with that story. And that's in Iraq. But you look in the Bible, we have nothing about that. We don't even hear much about Eden after Adam and Eve are no longer there. But you just got some travels and you have ultimately a place called Israel, but you also have Egypt and Assyria and Persia and all these other countries with names that are difficult to pronounce and places that we don't know really any, have any understanding of and many we don't even know where they are anymore because thousands and thousands of years have passed. But we begin there in Eden. So how did God's story move out of Eden? Eden. Why isn't everything just in Iraq and let that be the presence of the entire story? Well, it begins, as far as we're concerned, in Genesis chapter 3 with Abram. I'm going to call him Abram because he was Abram before he was Abraham, before God changed that name. So we'll at times go back and forth. We're talking about the same person, though. And Abram and his family are living in a place called Ur. So you are. They're living in a place called Ur, which is in that area now that we know as Iraq. And God reveals himself to him in verse 1 of chapter 12. And it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So God tells Abram to pack up and to go. And Abram says, where? And he says, I'll show you when you get there. But I just want you to go. Now, many of you thrive on surprises. You like that idea. You like it when someone says, hey, let's go out. And they, you say, where? They say, it'll be a surprise. Or, hey, let's go to the movies. What are we going to see? It'll be a surprise. Hey, let's go take this trip. Where are we going to go? It's going to be a surprise. Some of you thrive on those surprises. Most of you do not. Most of you despise surprises. And you can't stand to be unprepared. And if you don't even know what's going to be on the table, you're in the living room wondering if you should venture into the kitchen when it's time for supper because you're not quite sure what they put on that plate. And you don't, you just, you're kind of, you know, skeptical about the whole deal. Like you cannot stand surprises. But all of us despise surprises when they're permanent. So it's one thing to say, yeah, that'd be fun. Where are we going to go? I'll show you when we get there. I've got a surprise for you. It's another thing to say, hey, let's go on a trip. Where are we going to go? I can't tell you, but we're never coming back. Like, that's different. That's, that's next level of surprise, and no one likes that. So Abram is told, hey, let's pack up and let's go. They say, where? He says, I'll tell you when you get there. But pack everything and everyone, because we're not coming back. And Abram said, okay. So Abram, his wife Sarai, I'm not just saying it weird. Uh, it was Sarai, then it was Sarah. But so Sarai. Uh, they're packing everything up. Abram's dad, Terah, is there with them. 
And then Lot, who we hear about later, if you're familiar with the story of God, was Abram's nephew, and he's there as well. And all the servants, the people that worked with them and for them. So they're all getting everything together, all the people, all the stuff, and then they are moving on. But as they travel, they stop. And they settle in a place called Haran. And in Genesis chapter 11 is where we find this when it's talking about Abram's dad's lineage. And in chapter 11 verse 31 it says, They came to Haran and they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Don't get stuck on 205. We'll never figure that out. But anyway, 205 years then he died. But they're in this place called Haran and they stop. Not just for a day but long enough to settle there. And eventually, Abram's father died while they lived in Haran, and they bury him there. And I think all of us would understand Abram's story if the journey ended there. I was doing everything God asked me to do. I packed it all up. My heart was in the right spot, but my dad wanted to stop. We stopped. We were there. We got comfortable. Dad got sick. Then dad died. I buried dad. And we just never got back to it. It would be completely understandable. None of us would look at Abraham's story and say, what a loser. He quit just because his dad didn't want to go anymore and got sick and died. He didn't. Like, we get that. Life happens. A lot of you have made plans and a lot of you have even made promises to God and you started out with the best of intentions. Life happened and you lost a job or you lost money or a kid came along or a kid went away or a relationship formed or a relationship ended or something changed and you settled in. It would be understandable. But Abram did not do that. In chapter 12, verse 4, it says, So, this is after they buried his father, Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram is 75 years old and he said, I have not finished the trip. I've not finished the journey. God told me eventually to go to a place he would show me. This is not it. I've known this was not it. And now we're going to continue on. So they continue journeying. 75-year-old Abram and his family, his all, all his possessions and his people. And they travel on and eventually they arrive in a place called Canaan. They arrive in a place that ultimately would be the place we know as Israel. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. They arrived. God said, This is the place. He lets Abram look over it all. He says, All of this is going to be for your descendants. Never mind the fact that you have no descendants yet, but we're going to take care of that in a few years. Right now, understand this is a promise I am making to you. So he builds an altar, and they worship there in that place. So he finishes the journey, and God promises to bless his faithfulness. Promises to be with him, walk with him. And then later on, the journey, after being looked back on, uh, is summarized this way in James chapter 2, verse 23. James is writing about uh, something we'll look at in a minute with faith and, and how we express our faith. And he says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, 
and he was called God's friend. So there's some more there that we'll read in a moment. But he followed through with what God had told him to do, and in the end, he was remembered as God's friend. Now, when we look at his dad, Terah, he was simply known as Abraham's dad. That was how he was remembered, Abraham's father. Abraham was not remembered as Terah's son. Abraham was remembered as friend of God. I'm at a place of contentment in life where sometimes I am and one day I may be known simply as Brock's dad. That's my son. And I'm okay with that. He's an incredible guy. He's going to be a much better man than I ever dreamed of being. More faithful follower of God and if he ever goes on a date, one day he'll be a great husband someday and all that. But I'm okay with being Brock's dad. But just being honest, I think I would even prefer to be known as God's friend. That one day when it's all said and done, you've endured finally my last sermon and y'all say goodbye to me. And that some of you are going to be like, whew. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that'll be you at my funeral. Uh, but you've endured the last message and I'm gone. And it would be okay with me if you said, you know, I don't remember a single message that guy spoke, but he walked with God. Like, I would be okay with that. And if in the end I'm Christie's guy or Brock's dad or Madison's dad, that's cool. But to be known as God's friend, it's going to require something special. It's going to require a special kind of relationship with him. And Abraham had that. What was the difference? I want to settle on this too long because I, I, I think I'm... It's not the point of the story, but I couldn't help but notice it. And the others have as well. We read a few moments ago that on their journey, they settled, settled down in Haran until Terah died and then they finished their journey. And the truth is, Terah settled and Abraham trusted. At some point along the way, dad said, hey, we're going to stop right here. Yeah, but the vision that I got was God told me that but we're going to settle here. And we don't have that conversation. We don't know how it all unfolded. If he was in poor health, if something happened, if their car broke down, not likely, but if something happened along the way, but they settled down. And then eventually Abram said, we're going to finish the journey. I'm not going to stop here. I'm not settling for less than what God has called of me. And all of us in this room are either settling or we're traveling and trusting God for more. And you didn't mean to be disobedient, but some of you have just settled and said, yeah, I guess this is it. This is kind of what happens with people like me. This is where guys like me go. This is how it happens. This is just what we do in life. This is how it is. And you've settled and you haven't dreamed and you haven't listened and you haven't really stepped out and been obedient and you're okay with that. You're not purposely trying to run away from God. You're just kind of done and you've settled. And the rest of you are saying, no, 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 no. This, this can't be it. I know God made me for more and I'm going to figure out what that is and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to walk. And it's the way of Abraham that leads to friendship with God and a legacy of faith. His dad's way leads to settling down and just being remembered by your connection with the other faithful people around you. And I love the fact that maybe one day I'm known as Brock's dad um, because I have a feeling his faith is going to be even stronger than it is now and that's okay. But I want my first 
legacy to be my connection with God, to be God's guy, to be God's friend, to be someone that walked with him. So how do we follow Abram's path? Well, in James chapter 2, we read uh, just one verse a moment ago, but I want to back up and give it a little context because James, as he's writing, helps us to understand what it is to live the Abram way, if you will. He says in verse 17, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did and when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, he's not saying that it's what we do that earns our way into favor with God. He's saying your relationship with God that is built on faith is going to be expressed in what you do. And it's not really a question of which one. You and I have somehow got into our minds that it's an okay question to ask, can I believe but just not do these things? Am I okay with God here? Can I go to heaven and can I be considered a good person, if not a godly person, but just not do all of this stuff? Which is a really strange question. And if we were able to meet James, who wrote this book, I think he would struggle to understand where we're coming from. What do you mean? You want... You want to, by faith, follow Jesus, but you don't want to do anything he asks you to do? You want to just believe on the inside and it not come out? Yeah, that's, that's, what we're, that's what I'm asking. Just the fact that we're asking that question is a sign that something's not right here. Imagine it this way. I mean, if I were to this day, or this afternoon, go home, sit down with Christy on the couch and say, listen, I've been reading through James, this whole faith works thing. And I see a parallel. Would it be okay if we stayed married but no one knew? Okay. Obviously, there's a problem. What do you mean? Well, just hear me out. Like, we stay together, but we don't tell anybody. And we just hook up for anniversaries and stuff, like every seven days. Like, we just have our anniversary, and this is our thing. We're considered taken, and, but then in other places, we don't have to tell anybody. If that happened today, and my wife got on the phone and texted a few of you girls here, y'all would say, he's trash, get out of here, we've always known it, there was something about him that just kind of freaked us out, we, we, now we know, like he's weird, he's gross, he, get away from him, do not, it's okay, there's grounds in the Bible for, okay, get out of, like, that's what you would tell her, and you would probably be right if I had that conversation. That makes no sense to say, I love you, and I want to be identified with you for eternity someday. I just don't really want you right now. Like that, that is a real sign that something is amiss. And that's what James is saying. If you're a follower of Jesus, 
You followed him by faith, but that faith has to show up in the way you live. And the one example James gives is Abraham. He says in the same way. We don't look at Abram and say, oh, he was such a sweet guy. He had a special heart. Therefore, we'll call him righteous. God looked at his life, watched him pack everything up, be willing to move, and say, God, just tell me where to go and I'll go. And then later on, would give him a son after waiting all those years and then say, would you be willing to sacrifice your son? And he was. He said it was how he expressed his faith that now he's considered righteous and a friend of God. So when you and I look at our lives and consider what it is to live this way, the way of Abram, the living a road trip with steps of faith and expressing that, we've got to begin with just this core understanding that it's going to have to be in our lives. It has to be acted upon. When you and I take road trips and you'll go somewhere this summer, even if it's just to the, to the pool. You'll go somewhere this summer on a road trip. Most of you will take much larger trips. When you go, you first have to make sure that there is gas in the vehicle and oil in the vehicle. If you don't have that, no matter how great a destination you have planned, you're going to struggle and you're going to have a miserable trip and you're probably not even going to arrive. And if you do, it's going to be very costly. You want to stop and say, do I have gas for the trip? Do I have oil for the trip? And if we look at our own lives and what it is to live by faith, it begins with a couple of basic things. Number one, by faith, do what God has already told you. I have to ask myself, if I want God to do amazing stuff in my life where I'm making a difference and other people are looking and seeing the hand of God move in me, am I doing what I already know to do? Have I already done what it is he's asked me to do? What's been clear? Now, there are a lot of things about God's story and in God's story I don't understand, but there are some basics that are pretty obvious. And for me to step back and say, God, I want you to use me in huge ways to reach masses of people, and I want to leave a legacy of faith. I want to be known as your friend, but I'm just too tired to read my Bible today, and I'm just too frustrated to pray, and I'm just too busy to go to church. And I just don't have time to walk across the street and knock on my neighbor's door and just say, how are you doing after that thing that you went through? I don't want to do that. But I'm ready for something big. I mean, we are Cousin Eddie holding out for a management position at that point. Like, I need something big. Like, I, I can't do this small thing. I want to do something big. And yet God just reminds us, have you done the small things? This week, as our kids took a road trip without us, we were home alone. We had the empty house, and so I knew I needed to do something. In fact, at the beginning of the week, Christy was like, what are we going to do with our, all of our time together, just you and me? And I acted like, I was like, it's a surprise. And so then I'm on my phone going, okay, where do I go? Restaurants, stuff to do, trying to plan all this. She knows this now. It's not a secret. But I, I was scrambling around to try to find stuff to do. But if I looked and found a fancy restaurant and a thing to do outside of town and said, hey, tonight we're going to go to so-and-so or I've got this place planned or I have reservations at a restaurant, whatever that is, well, great. But for now, while you do some house cleaning, I'm going to sit right here on the couch in my underwear and watch television because I don't really want to help you do the house, but you wait till the night. I got a special plan. Like, it, tonight is not great. If that happens, and I feel like oftentimes in my life that's been God in me. God, do something big through me. Oh, why don't you go invite him to be a, a part of what's going on? 
that's kind of weird. I don't want to make it awkward. I mean, I barely know him. I've only lived in the house 13 years. He's not been my neighbor very long. I don't know that I can invite him to this thing. And we just have all of these excuses. And it's no wonder God doesn't open up big doors when we're not willing to do the small things. So have I already done what God's made, made it clear to do? Number two, by faith, go where God has already led you. We talk a lot about open doors in church world. God, open this door, open this opportunity, or present this. And we act like everything that we have is an open door from God. When sometimes someone just opened the door and said, would you like to come in? But we look at everything really spiritual, like, ooh, this is the moment. And the truth is that there are so many times when God just gives us small things and we don't walk through them. One of the next steps for us as a church is to begin to have an international footprint and do some mission stuff. And I'm excited about what God's going to do there. But there will be some of us who get really excited about going to Central America or Africa to do this thing. And you've got three neighbors across the street that every Sunday morning you leave and they're mowing the yard and you've never said one thing. But... You want to pay $800 to get on a plane and go somewhere else and tell a bunch of strangers something that you won't tell. Like we're all, we're all guilty of it in some way and to some degree. Have I already done what God's led me to do? Because for me, that's the gas and that's the oil of the car. Like I can't expect God to take me on any fantastic faith road trips if I'm not doing what I already know to do and what he's already led me to do. But once I have, once I've looked at my life and said, I haven't done it perfectly, but I'm trying to do the small things. And I haven't taken advantage of every opportunity, God, but I'm trying to have a heart that's willing and courageous to go. Once I've done those things, what's the next thing? I just want to leave you with this. Every day, do one thing that is not a sure thing. Every day of your life, do one thing that is not a sure thing. Now, I don't mean just jumping off of something tall. I mean, well, see, how, see what happens here. At church, they said, no, 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 don't break a leg and then build me. I'm not talking about that. The goal is faith, not foolishness. But to step back and say, what is one thing I can do today that makes me nervous, makes me scared, is going to make me rely on God in this moment? It's going to make me be submissive and surrender and say, God, I can't do this without you. I don't know that I have this ability. I don't know that I have this information. I don't know that I'm smart enough. I don't know that I know enough. I don't know that I'm experienced enough. But I'm going to trust you in this moment. I'm going to do this one thing. Whether it is a, a response. Maybe for some of you, every single time you get sideways or you get bent or you get frustrated or someone offends you, you let them have it. And you step back and say, well, it's just the way God made me. God, I'm difficult, but I'm just to the point. And we always blame God for our weird character traits. Like, I, I'm just to the point. I make everybody angry, but God may be this way. I don't know. Maybe you've been responding the same way over and over. But today, you step back and say, God, you and I both know she deserves to get popped. But I'm going to let you bring the hammer down, not me. I'm going to turn her over to you today. Or maybe every time you start having this one emotion or one disappointment, you always cope in a particular way. And maybe you say, God, you know today I normally do that thing that I'm kind of private about. But today, no. I'm not going to try to numb it with this or with that or with this experience or this activity or this thought. I'm, I'm going to lean on you. 
Just today. No promises for tomorrow, but today I want to, by faith, trust you in this moment. So maybe it's a response. Maybe for you it's a conversation, a talk. There's someone that needs to hear you say, I know I was wrong. I want you to forgive me. And it will be one of the most difficult requests that you'll ever make. And truth is, you don't know what the response is going to be. You hope the response is going to be, I forgive you, I love you, I've been waiting on this. You get a handshake or a hug or whatever the relationship is. The truth is, you might say that and they may say, well, I'm glad you feel bad because you hurt me. And that's why you've never asked forgiveness before because you don't know what the response is going to be. Or maybe you need to turn the tables around and have a conversation with someone and say, I forgive you. Maybe it's an invitation Maybe it's walking across the street next week and saying, I know we've been neighbors for 20 years, um, but I also noticed for 20 years times 52 Sundays, you haven't gone anywhere. So maybe if it's not too early in the relationship, uh, would you like to come to church with me? Or could we have a conversation about something even more? But a step of faith. Or, or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just a prayer. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe you need to begin to pray for more than just God. Let this food make me healthy. Help me to go to sleep quickly. Help me to make, wake up energized. Help me to have all the right things to say when I get to work tomorrow. Help me to make the grades. Help me to do this. And do. If you notice that every one of your prayers, if God answered them all, you would have zero reason to ever ask for anything else again. If you prayed and you slept as hard as you prayed that you could sleep, if you wake up as fired up and energetic as you asked for God to do, if you have everything fall your way at work the way you want it to fall into place, if every food is actually going to bless the nourishment of your body or whatever the prayer is, if all that stuff really happened, at the end, you just wake up and look up to the heaven and go, peace, have a good day, God. I'm, I'm out. I don't, I don't need you. The truth is we would need him, but that's how we respond. We're only on our face when we know we're in need. And I look back at some of those moments in my life where God waited to the last second to respond. And I look at that moment like God almost missed his time. Like he almost didn't show up. And God's looking going, yeah, finally enjoy your gift. But man, for the last three months, you've been on your face for 30 minutes a day. And it's been awesome to spend that time with you and to have your heart wide open, to have you vulnerable before me, to know who I am and for me to truly know you. And this has been good. I'm going to miss this. So enjoy your health and enjoy your money and enjoy your opportunity, enjoy the vacation, but I'm going to miss these hard times. So maybe you need to begin to pray something more than just health and sleep and help me to arrive safely at my journey. Maybe it's God... Do something big in my life today that will scare me to death. But so that I can trust you and lean on you and see you move and you'll get all the credit for it. Because I don't want my story to be, he was safe and then he passed away. I want my life to be, I lived by faith and he was a friend of God. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And I hope that you and I Take that to heart as we move forward day by day, realizing the goal is not safety. The goal is to live by faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being a God who not just protects us. We're thankful for your protection. And not just a God who 
gives us good days and allows us to take trips and lets us see sunrises and sit on the beach and travel around the world and do whatever we do on our road trips. God, all those are incredible blessings. I'm thankful for them. But God, more than that, I'm thankful for the moments in which you put me in a place where I did not know if I could succeed. Because in those moments, I found your strength and it was much more impressive than my own. And when I was able to forgive people that I never thought I could forgive, and I was able to find mercy in moments where I didn't feel like I deserved mercy, or I was able to experience newness in someone else's life or rejoice because of something that happened in someone else, as selfish as I've been, and I found those moments where I could actually celebrate them. God, that is all you, and I'm so thankful for that. God, if there's anyone in this place today who's not a follower of Jesus, the road with you begins by faith. Faith alone and Christ alone. God, you have given us your gift of salvation and you've invited us to come to know you. And I pray that by faith, the men and women in this place who are not followers of Jesus yet would take this moment to say, I'm coming home. If you'll have me as I am, I give you all that I have. Father, thank you for that free gift of salvation. Thank you for those steps of faith that you've required of us. And thank you for being our strength when we are weak. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus who saves. Amen. Would you stand please with us?